badquaker.com podcast where liberty is our mission today is wednesday november 28th 2012 this is podcast number 237 my name is ben stone and with me today is my co-host kai hello uh, now i have a couple things that i need to get out of the way before we get going on this one i'm, I'm doing this series on um on war, on specifically on American wars, wars that the U.S. government has engaged itself in. And um, in the last episode of that, and I'll have to put this correction in the series, uh, too, in the next, you know, in the next podcast on the series, but I wanted to get it out right away um, because I, I, I don't know how, you know, sometimes my brain works really good. I, I admit that flaw, <laughs> but sometimes my brain just... Uh, just kind of nods off and leaves my <laughs> mouth hanging out there with nothing to say. So it just keeps talking anyway, you know. So James K. Polk was not a Whig. He was not in the Whig party. He was a Democrat. He was a Southern Democrat. But um, what he did do by invading Mexico, um, uh, that act, uh, well, the act, actually the, the result of him invading Mexico and then not following through with actually conquering all of Mexico and making slave states out of it right. by him not following through uh, that split the Democratic Party and a lot of them were kind of partyless because they wouldn't be Whigs there's no way they'd be Whigs right and it also split the Whig Party because he had also uh, you know compromised with Canada instead of invading him like he promised he would right. uh, and then in the process of all that he secure he, he was mm, how do you say it um, he was there when it when uh, the whole West, all the land that he had conquered and stolen from Mexico, uh, was designated so that it couldn't be slave states. So, so this kind of this uh, warmed up some of the Whig Party towards him as well. Right. So he actually divided the Whig Party, and he divided his own Democratic Party. He weakened his own Democratic Party horribly through this nasty, unjustifiable war and the lies that went with it. Um, and this made a place for Lincoln's new invention, the Republican Party, right. to come in and scoop up those uh, disgruntled Democrats and the Whigs that were stuck basically in a, in a dead party. The Whig Party was dead by that point in time. Right. So anyway, I didn't explain that very well. It was Polk's lies and his failure to attack Canada and his failure to fully annex Mexico that actually weakened both parties and made way for the Republicans to sweep in take over and pretty much run the government until Franklin Roosevelt came along almost a hundred years later. So right. anyway, just wanted to clarify that. That's that I didn't even mean to talk about it that much. <laughs> um, and, and unfortunately the listeners will have to hear me clarify that again in the, uh, when I pick back up that, uh, that series. So um, I did want to bring up the, well, one other thing uh, that you and I were talking about right before I turned on the microphone that your mom brought up, 
Oh, uh, should we do another introduction? Uh, Kai is, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, Kai is my daughter, and uh, we're, as far as we know, we're the only father-daughter anarchist podcasting team in the known universe that we know that of. we know of. Um, anyway, and Kai uh, assassinated a deer the other day with her jeep, and um, that distri- deer tried to assassinate me. It was a suicidal deer. Um, it was exercising its rights to private property. That's I'm pretty sure doing. when it jumped out in front of me, it yelled Allah. <laughs> oh, 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 wow. You sure <laughs> You sure it wasn't Geronimo? <laughs> no, you know, it might have been. <laughs> if, if we're, actually, it's a native, so yeah. if we're going to be insulting uh, ethnic groups. and No, actually, I was thinking more along the lines of, uh, of the dude who um, assassinated... Oh wow, my brain's not working. The dude who assassinated the other dude that started World War One. Oh yeah, um, uh, yeah, uh, Archduke Ferdinand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's hard to even say that, uh, Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. It's hard to say that and not have your mind polluted by a band. Right. That's that's kind of. Um, but what we were talking about was that the the one thing that's that's interesting about you hitting the deer is that. How often do you hear about people hitting cattle? I mean, I know it happens, but how often do you hear about it? But you hear about people hitting deer all the time, especially well, in Ohio. Uh, cows belong to people. Right. There's there's property ownership there, so people make sure and don't let them just wander out onto highways. Right. Whereas deer, and you say, well, but deer jump over fences. Yeah, but they uh, there's actually farms that... Uh, that raise deer, mm-hmm. you know, for the purpose of uh, meat production. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading about, uh, it seems to me in Northern England or possibly in Scotland that, um, that there was a deer farm that the government shut down for some, for some stupid reason that didn't make any sense. Hmm. Do you remember? No. Any? Oh, well. <laughs> no, I live in a tent with no electricity. Yeah. I rarely hear anything <laughs> that happens in the outside world. Did you get to hear uh, or read the transcript of Ron Paul's speech that he gave, his his exit speech in Congress? I did not. It was I'm really... A, I'm a terrible, terrible liberty person. It was a really good speech. Uh, I had planned on, because I wasn't sure if you were going to be on the podcast with mm-hmm. me today, so uh, I had planned on actually reading a segment of it. I, I'm not going to do that now, but uh, it's a pretty good speech. He kind of gives a bunch of like nods and winks and, you know, towards anarchists and toward ANCAPs and uh, toward libertarian thought and things. He doesn't really come right out and say it. I think it would be phenomenal if he would just like, okay, you guys don't want to have me work within the system. Here, let me be an anarchist and let me, you know, fully join the, the whole liberty crusade yeah yeah if he had just come right out in the open and used all the proper you know words that Mm -hmm. we all know about talked about the non-aggression principle or the zero aggression principle and if Mm -hmm. he had you know said that government is a gang of thieves wit large uh writ writ large that's what's what what, a rothbard used some weird words um What he actually said, though, it was all kind of encoded. It was all kind of in libertarian speak. Right. So all the uh, government goons that were watching him had no idea what he was talking about. It was like he was speaking Zwahili or something. Right. 
Um, so only the people who are in the know knew what he was talking about. Right. And, but that doesn't really help anything. Right. Because that's like, you know, oh, we have a secret language that only we know. Well, great. But now nobody else who listens to you who is not already indoctrinated into that message. Right will understand what you're saying. And the problem with Ron Paul is that he has so many people following him mm-hmm. who are not really libertarians, not really in the know. Yep. They think they're libertarians because they're, you know, because they like Ron Paul. Right. But they don't really, you know, they haven't read Rothbard, they haven't read most of Ron Paul's writings. They right. haven't really got into it. They, you know, they're they're bored by economics, so they don't go read Mises or Hayek or anything like that. Um, they don't really get into maybe they don't even like politics, so they really don't get into the clarification of what's right wing and left wing and how libertarian really is neither right wing nor left wing. Right. They they maybe even they even buy the old um, the old line that well we're you know socially liberal but fiscally conservative, which is totally illegitimate. That is right. not at all a good argument. You know right. that's that's a terrible way to, to identify yourself. Well, and that's sort of the thing that I think people who understand about liberty right now need to be embracing those people because there are thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands of disenfranchised Ron Paul supporters yeah. out there right now mm-hmm. who put all of their hopes that they could fix the state yeah, and that it was all crushed. And yeah. so... Now we have the ability to say there is an alternative. Mm-hmm. You know, you you don't have to wait for another savior to come along. Yeah, you know, it would have been nice though, as if Paul had, uh, while he was standing there, you know, giving that speech that so many of his followers are going to listen to. Right. If he had not spoken in libertarian code speak, yeah. And if he had spoken plainly and said. I have tried all these years to work within this institution to try to better it, but it's obvious that this is a corrupt organization, and here's why it's corrupt. Not just because these 500 people around here in Washington are corrupt, but because the very system that it's based on guarantees corruption. Right. But he didn't say that. You know, he he used Clinton-like political speaking. Well, and not, not not to sit here and be like, we should embrace the Ron Paul followers and then immediately turn around and bash Ron Paul. But, right. you know, he's a politician. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's why it's why even if he had got elected, nothing would have changed because you can't fix the system by hiring a politician to fix the system. Uh, I'm going to quote one of the things that he said in the speech. This is word for word. I'm reading it right off of the uh, off the. Um uh, the text that was at uh, uh, lourockwell.com. Mm-hmm. He said, and this is a quote, no good has ever come from granting monopoly power to the state to use aggression against the people to arbor- arbitrarily mold human behavior. Such power, when left unchecked, becomes the seed of an ugly tyranny. And and that sounds great. That sounds very ANCAP. You know? right. That sounds voluntarist. Right. Um, but it doesn't. He put uh, Clinton-like um, caveats in that. Right. It's, it's like lawyer talk. You right. Know? Uh, listen to it again. No good has ever come from granting monopoly of. No good has ever come from granting monopoly power to the state 
And then he goes on to clarify, to use aggression against the people to arbitrarily mold human behavior. No, you don't need that. Right. You don't need that caveat to try to, to wiggle yourself out to put a legal exit so that you right. can you know, later on disclaim what you've said. You don't need to do that. All you have to do is say no good has ever come from granting monopoly power to the state. Boom. Right. Done. Right there. Right. And then he goes on to say uh, such power, when left unchecked, becomes the seed of an ugly tyranny. Why, why do you put that in? Why do you put that disclaimer? That's like the nonsense in the Constitution, right. written in a way so that 200 years from now it can be taken any way you want it to go. Yep. That's, that is not the way we, we, all of us in the liberty movement, liberty, uh, what, what's our new? Mission. Liberty mission. That's not how we should speak. We should not place caveats in, in, cl- in what should be clear talk. Yes. You know? uh, we're, not, we're not selling a used car here. So, uh, like, if you apply this to, to other statements... Like imagine, I, I, I mentioned Rothbard a minute ago. Imagine Rothbard saying, government is a gang of thieves writ large. Uh, writ. writ. That's such a weird word. Government is a gang of thieves writ large. Uh, when left unchecked. <laughs> he didn't say that. Because that's well, not. Because you don't have to. Yeah. It's completely unnecessary. If, if you're going to stand up against the state, have the courage to actually stand up against it. Yeah. Why go halfway with this? You know, this is like this is like, you know, the little kid standing up to the bully and being like, "No, I'm not going to give you my lunch money today." <laughs> I'm not going to give you that dollar my mom gave me. Here's 50 cents. Right. Um Franz Oppenheimer, you know, the genius Franz Oppenheimer that I really really enjoy write, reading his stuff. He said um there are two fundamentally opposed means whereby man requiring sustenance is impelled to obtain the necessary means for satisfying his desires these are work and robbery one's own labor and the forcible appropriation of the labor of others i propose to call one's own labor and the equivalent exchange of one's own labor for the labor of others the economic means for the satisfaction of needs while the unrequited appropriation of the labor of others we shall call the political means hmm. the state is an organization of the political means now franz oppenheimer was saying that in really fancy words but he was trying right. to be specific for the ages right can you imagine him putting in the uh, the, the the little phrase when left unchecked when left unchecked when left unchecked so, so if you work and you exchange the product of your work for the product of someone else's work, and you're both better off because of that exchange, that's uh, the economic means. Right. But when you steal, that's the political means. When left unchecked. When left unchecked. Like, okay, so you're at the bank, and this guy comes busting in with guns drawn, and he says, you know, to the teller, give me the money out of the cash drawer. And and you say, oh no, we're in a robbery when left unchecked. Right. You know, it's just not necessary to play well, those word games. Well, you know, you is it not a robbery if you walk up to the robber and they're like, now now, you you can only take seventy percent of that. Yeah, yeah. Somehow that's not a robbery because it's it's checked. Right. We, we have a it's check. A check. Yeah. Or or we can vote. Every, all of us who are being robbed, we get to vote. And, uh, you know, if, if we vote for the robber to take 60% rather than 70%, then it's not a robbery anymore, right? Right. 
because it's in check. Well, actually, there's some logic to that. When you're voting for how much you want the robber to take from you, you're kind of giving him permission to rob, aren't you? A little bit, yeah. I guess we've already covered the voting thing to death. (laughs) Yeah, we shouldn't continue to bore our listeners with more voting talk. (laughs) I'm pretty sure our stance on voting is well established at this point. Ron Paul said another just... I, I when he said this in the speech, I just wanted to grab my monitor, my computer monitor, and strangle it <laughs> because what he said was it's just so, so aggressive. Oh, I know. Um, but he said this is a this is again an exact quote. He said, "Today, the principle of habeas corpus, established when King John signed the Magna Carta in in twelve in twelve fifteen, is under attack, and I wanted to just smack him." No. It's not under attack. Well, well, the, ha- been... the habeas corpus wasn't established by King John. Right. When, when, um, when the uh, lords, to use their phraseology, right. when the lords burst into his palace and held him at spear point and sword point and said, sign this or die, John was not establishing <laughs> the principle of habeas corpus. The principle of habeas corpus existed into antiquity. Right. That was a. This is. This is. You just, you was, just can't snatch was, somebody up and accuse them of something and then punish them for it without any kind of. Right. He, you know. Well, he was violating it, and they were defending the yeah. idea. Yeah, and and uh, the thought that a king or a government or the state can establish something like the principle of habeas corpus is backward thinking and it should never come out of the mouth of one of us right you know of anybody who understands that rights don't come from the government right uh, the government exists through the through the destruction of rights it's not the other way around right government doesn't protect rights government doesn't issue rights government can only exist uh, you know when we're talking about the state in a, in a coercive government it can only exist. By destroying our rights. Right. It can't exist. It, it, it can't produce any rights. It can't uh, protect any rights. It, it's the opposite of that. It's like that thief back in the, in the uh, you know, in the um, a bank. He's not, when he gave you 10% of your money back, he's not protecting your money. No. He's not giving you anything. He's just not, you know, stealing as much because you were kind enough to, to give him the legitimacy of voting. Right. <laughs> Well, wait, we're talking about voting again. <laughs> but it's not just a play in words where this becomes, you know, dangerous. And, and, and some people say that. They'll say, like, well, you're just, you're just playing with words. Well, not really. Well, words are incredibly, incredibly important. Yeah. You know, words have meanings. They're not just random monkey sounds that we make. Right. You know, they have specific meanings, and specific words mean specific things. And and even more so, if a person really believes that Ron Paul is important, and Ron Paul's work has been important, and if a person believes that Ron Paul um, has made these really, really terrific strides for liberty, a lot of people believe all these things I'm saying, Right. then you ought to believe also that his final speech to the House of Representatives is going to have some kind of historical meaning. Right. That being the case, you should not give ground to something as fundamental as where rights come from. Right. O- oddly enough, 
when um, when those people burst in on uh, he was actually I think he was Prince John the first time they did this. Right. I don't think he was king yet, but I don't even like the the concept of calling him Prince John. I would refer to him. I would prefer to refer to him as something like John the Usurper if I have to give him a title. <laughs> but uh, John the Thief. Yeah, but that would be any John in politics. Yeah. But um, when, when really, when he signed the Magna Carta, and when, when these lords put this, so-called lords, put all this stuff down on paper, right. they wrote the words, and then they had him sign it, and it became the law of the land. By doing that, to a certain extent, they began the death of the right of habeas corpus. Mm-hmm. Um, when you write down a law, and you authorize it through government... In a very real way, you just took away a lot of its power. Yeah. And, and you pretty much guaranteed that at some point government will destroy that right. Yeah. Because communications... Well, you've just entrusted the state to take care of a right. Yeah. And, and also, communications, when two people look at each other eye to eye and they speak... Um, you have like a lot of body communications are taking place. Mm-hmm. Eye, communi- eye contact is communicating a lot, mm-hmm. and you're, the the uh, fluctuations in your voice mm-hmm. are carrying a lot of weight in what you're saying. But when you take that same thing and you write it down in text and you hand it to somebody, it loses almost all of its meaning. Right. And it, and and because language changes constantly, um, anything that's written down in hard form like that is going to be lost, its meaning is going to be lost with time. Yep. Because the words will dissolve, they'll mean other things. And so so the actual act of writing down a law is the beginning of the negating of that law. Yep. Uh, when we get back from the commercial, we'll get back into talking about all kinds of nonsense. We'll be right back. I'd like to talk to you about Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. The Liberty Classroom is a collection of courses on history and Austrian economics presented in an easy, convenient way. There are video files and audio files you can download. You can participate in discussions online in the discussion boards. And there are live sessions with Tom Woods and the other educators where you can directly interact with the instructors. Now, who is this for? It's for anyone who realizes that they didn't get the real story in government-approved schools. It's also great for homeschoolers and unschoolers. Join Tom Woods and his team, and they'll equip you with one of the very best tools the Liberty Movement has to offer, knowledge, real knowledge in a usable form. At Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom, you can get all this for only $99 a year. Now, that's less than the cost of one movie DVD a month. This gets you access to absolutely everything on their site, all the courses plus additional courses that will be added later, the discussion forums, the live sessions, everything. So how do you do this? You go to badquaker.com. You click on the banner for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. By using that link, you'll let Tom know that I sent you, and you'll help badquaker.com. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks for sticking with us through the commercial. So um, we don't want to give the impression today that we're just here beating up Ron Paul. We actually have some things to talk about that are not (laughs) Ron Paul related. It's just that that speech, um, you know, maybe is going to be a very important speech. And it would have been nice if he'd have spent some time and thought about what he was going to say. Right. And I'm sure he did. I'm sure he worked with a speechwriter. I'm sure he probably did. Right. Um, I assume he has people that he works with on his speeches. And it would have been nice if he would have just spoke like a person and not a politician. Right. You know. 
go home, Ron Paul. You're drunk with politics. <laughs> That's the, the line the kids use these days. The like latest the meme. meme. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of memes. So I, I told you, but I, I. So I have this friend and she goes for game night with this group of people and they're like in their 20s and they had never heard of lolcats. That's so sad. What kind of games do they play? Is it like, you know, hopscotch or something? No, it's Dungeons and Dragons. These are nerds. They should know. It's Dungeons and Dragons, and they play in a basement, and they and none of them ever leave the basement, <laughs> and they stay in costume constantly. Is that is that what we're talking? No, they have jobs and families and lives and things. And they don't know about ICANN has cheeseburger. They no. don't know. But I don't understand how you could ever open the internet and not <laughs> Ever see a lolcat? Maybe it's a dump truck at their house. Maybe the internet's a dump truck and not a series no, of not tubes. Not a series of tubes. <laughs> Do they also know about Google? I don't know. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know for certain, but lolcats have probably been around as long as Google. Yeah, probably. Yeah. The cheeseburger one is probably at least yeah. as old as Google. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, uh, speaking of the internet. <laughs> the interwebs. Um, Michael Dean of the Freedom Fiends asked me to uh, do some research on something. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was, what do I need to research that for? Everybody knows this stuff. Right. And he's like, look and see. Look and see if you really know what you think you know and why you know it. Right. And you know I'm 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 doing this series on war, and there's currently uh, a movie out about Abraham Lincoln, right. which is you know glorifying him and saying what a great human he was and everything. Right. And I haven't seen it, so I can't say a whole lot about it. But I'm sure coming from Hollywood, that's what it was. Right. Although I am told that in this one they don't mention his illustrious zombie hunting career at all. Really. No, vampire. Vampire. I can't remember. Whatever. Vampire? The you, the joke Hunter? is lost. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, um I know what lolcats are. <laughs> anyway, uh um so uh Michael asked me to f look into uh Che Guevara. Mm -hmm. And 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 I'm like, what do I need to do that for? But my thought was you know, as many lies as were told about Abraham Lincoln mm -hmm. prior to, uh, you know, a few years back when uh, 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 several of the people within our, you know, uh, like um, um, some of the people over like the Mises Institute and others have done so much work on exposing Lincoln for what he really was. Right. Prior to that, you know, a lot of people, even in libertarians and the liberty people of different kinds, a lot of them didn't realize how evil uh, Abraham Lincoln really was what a racist he was right. murderer we you know most people didn't know this uh, until just a few years ago and and you know as many new people have come in uh, to liberty uh, you know into liberty movement and liberty uh, everything um, a lot of them probably still don't know that how evil Abraham Lincoln was right so Michael challenged me he's like look into Che and and see if what you think you know 
if you really know it or not. Mm-hmm. And what I found out, and you know, the standard stuff, right? Right. He was a racist. He's a, a mass murderer. He was an evil person. He he hated gays. He hated rock and roll. You know, we, we, we've heard all these things about him. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the left think that he was basically Jesus come back to life. Right. You know? um, but uh, so I started looking into him. And a lot of the 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 hate that's thrown towards him, a lot of the accusations, right, uh, are done by a very small group of people who had either financial reasons to uh, you know to to say these things, mm-hmm. or they were political enemies of his. Hmm. There's very little that I can find, and there may be something I haven't stumbled across yet. But I'm looking for hard, verified facts, right. witnessed. With references, where did you get this? Where does it come from? Who said that? And I'm having a real hard time finding anything really to support the uh, the accusations of mass murder and you know hatred right. towards gays and hatred of rock and roll and all these things. Now I did find like um, in uh, in one of his di- he he actually had like I think three different diaries, and only parts of it have been uh, published in English. Mm-hmm. So I'm stumbling around through Google trying to translate things from, you know, from uh, uh, I, I'm not even sure if it was I'm not sure if it was Spanish or Portuguese. Well, or he was Cuban. from Argentina. Yeah. So, so... I, I'm thinking he actually spoke Portuguese as his native language, but he worked in Mexico for a long time as a doctor right. in a hospital. Right. And and I might mention one of the worst things that I can find absolutely verifiable about him is that he experimented with live cats. Yeah. Um, but but now, you know, a lot of people would be appalled by that, but a lot of people would not. Right. So uh, so I don't know, you know. But, um, but He did a lot of work with leprosy. Or no, he did a lot of work in leprosy clinics hmm. uh, trying to cure, like, asthma. Yeah, he, he suffered from asthma really yeah. horribly. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying that he's a good guy at all. I'm right. not saying that he's good in any way. Right. I imagine, you know, he was uh, Castro's number two guy. Well, up until he disagreed with Castro yeah. and Castro kicked him out. Well, he um, he Slash kind of possibly murdered him. He, he kind of disagreed with Castro a lot. Mm-hmm. But Castro, because Castro wasn't really even a socialist at first. Right. And uh, Che sort of taught him how to be a socialist. Right. But Che wanted to go on into deeper levels of communism. Right. And uh, he didn't want anything to do with that. Right. He He got to the point of where he was in power. He had things the way he wanted them. And plus, uh, Che kind of had uh, control of the Cuban economy mm-hmm. for a little while and was just destroying the Cuban co- economy. Right. And, um, and Well, and, and Che... Wanted to align with um, China instead yeah. of Russia. Yeah, he was a very big fan of Mao. Mm-hmm. And now this is the this is the closest thing to uh, to being really really evil that I can find absolutely verifiable about Che mm-hmm. is that he made on more than one occasion he made the statement that he and Mao Zedong were um, identical on every policy. Okay, now, if that's the case, then you can say, okay, then you're good with murder, right? Right. Because Mao murdered. Right. And you're fine with people starving to death because people starved to death under Mao, and Mao was okay with that. Right. So, so, so there's this guilt by association, but that doesn't necessarily mean he actually did those things in Cuba. Right. You know, maybe, 
you know, I'm thinking because uh, George Bush said some stupid things like that too. Right. When he was, um, you know, like trying to hug the the uh, the Chancellor of Germany or whatever it was, mm-hmm. or when he. Um, Oh, I can't remember the other one that he did like that. Uh, maybe it was the president of France that he, he he said how good buddies he was with him or something like that. I can't remember. Right. Anyway, but, but just because somebody makes a statement like that doesn't necessarily mean they're guilty of the thing that the other person is guilty of. Right. And, and again, I'm not saying that Che didn't do those things. I'm just saying that every source that I'm going after who claims these horrible things that he did either has a political reason to lie mm-hmm. or they're making money off of the sensationalism right. of how evil Che really was. Right. So it's a good likelihood Che was a horrible, horrible person. Right. I'm, I'm just having a hard time absolutely verifying it. Right. So kind of like Lincoln, you know, a few years ago, it was hard to find stuff that was anything other than praising Lincoln. Right. So it, it's kind of like that. Which is kind of upsetting because I've believed right along that Che was a horrible person. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it doesn't really change anything because he was a terrible statist. You know. Yeah. He did. Um, he did murder people. You know, we know for a fact that he killed people in the o- occupation of Cuba when they went in to. You know. Yeah, I have no doubts that, like, um, what was the previous government um uh, not bastiat but ba, oh it's batista? batista batista yeah when when they drove out the batista government it was not a happy time i mean you can't you can't have a violent revolution right, right. without and, violence and, <laughs> yeah and not break some eggs you know you right. can't make a, a, a <laughs> omelet without breaking some eggs but and that doesn't justify the killing no you know no um but so i'm sure that there was killing i mean that how do you have a violent revolution without killing? Right. And how do you deal with the previous government in a violent revolution other than killing them? Right. If you exile them, they'll just build an army and come back. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, if you are if you are using the tools of the state to achieve your ends, yeah. you only have a few options. Yeah. It's weird though because I found like I found some people claiming the CIA had killed him. Yeah. I found others claiming that it was a plot that, you know, really Castro was behind it. Right. And I had... Well, everyone knows that the CIA put Castro in anyway, so... <laughs> well, it's it's actually possible, <laughs> you know. It's possible that they had a hand in it at first, and then the thing got out of their control. Right. And it's actually possible that it got out of their control because of Che. Right. Uh, so, so, you know, it's really hard to tell. It would literally, you'd have to go and get use the Freedom of Information Act and dig through files. And it's really hard to do that because the way, uh, the way the Freedom of Information Act goes, you have to be fairly specific about what you're looking for. Right. And, uh, and they won't do the research for you. you. You have to go in and do the document searches yourself. Right. You know? So it, it's not that easy to come up with the absolute truth on right. these things. Plus... Um, what a lot of people have found with CIA documents is they'll say, okay, so you've demanded this specific document. We'll give it to you. But then they, what's that word called? Reduct? Is that what it's called? Where they black out like right. half of it. Redact. Where they, and they just, you know, basically cut chunks of it out and hand it to you. Right. And you can't you, see this bit. Yeah. So you're looking at like a piece of Swiss cheese here. Yeah. And you've got to try to sew together what they're talking about without people's names and without dates and, you know. Yeah. Very difficult. What? 
the the government not fully cooperating when you want to expose their lies? Well, uh, I can't imagine. One of the things that uh, in in searching on uh, Che Guevara, one of the things I found was that Murray Rothbard actually eulogized him in a positive way. Oh yeah. And yeah, and and said uh, we've lost one of the great revolutionaries and stuff like this. And I thought at first I thought, well, this is weird because this was happening in the '60s when he died. That's right. when Murray did the thing. Right. And I thought, well, that's weird. You know, because Murray was so knowledgeable about so many things. Right. That if Che was really guilty of these things, Murray would have known it. Right. And so this really got me thinking. Well, maybe maybe this is all just right wing hate. And they lie because they do. They right, lie. Right. Um, but then I thought, you know what, though? And taking this back to the Ron Paul rant, Murray had a very serious flaw. He um, he he constantly felt like uh, like he could reach out to fringe groups on the right or fringe groups on the left mm-hmm. and win them to liberty. Mm-hmm. And he would constantly go out on a limb, reaching out to these people. And it never worked. Mm-hmm. But he would repeat this mistake over and over in his life, um, reaching out to the Ayn Rand people, and it didn't work. It just made them hate him more, you know, because mm-hmm. they're not libertarians. Right. Uh, read Ayn uh, Rand's words on it. She said right. she said that she wasn't a libertarian. Right. She made fun of libertarians. Um, people, you know, forget that now. But uh, there's crossover philosophy between the Randians and the Libertarians. But there's crossover theology with the communists too and the and the leftists and the and the right wing extremists and Right. But Rothbard would reach out to these different groups thinking that, well maybe I can win a few of them you know, off the fringes. Right. But this never worked. Uh, the, we have things, weird things have come out of that, like the Cato Institute. Right. Which is, you know, for years it was nothing but a tool of the uh, of the Koch family. So it totally backfired on Murray. And it actually, uh, you know, having the Cato Institute, which, which has done a lot of good work, mm-hmm. but it's tainted by people thinking it's libertarian and it has these libertarian leanings. But it's not really, if you get down to it, it's not based on the zero aggression principle. Yep. It, it's based on the idea, uh, ideas of minarchism, right. which go contrary to what Murray Rothbard taught. Right. So he actually, Murray's involvement with the Koch brothers gave birth to the Cato Institute, which, is, which represents something that Murray, uh, you know, felt was despicable. Right. He, uh, in, in one article he uh, wrote called, um, I think it was, Do You Hate the State?, he made this distinction between tolerating the state and hating the state. Right. And he made it clear that he hated the state. Um, but then right after that, he worked to create the Cato Institute, which is a policy institute to try to uh, help Washington write more libertarian policies. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, I think, is the key. Anytime you are beginning to look into, you know, what you believe in and the leaders of um, the ideas that you want to embrace, you have to understand that people are people and people have flaws and you can't deify people. Right. You know, Um, and I think because once you start deifying people, then 
it, that is the same mentality that brings about the state. It's this idea that, no, those are infallible human beings, and we have to, anything that they say, we have to agree with. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not, that's the opposite of what we're trying to do. Yeah. I've had people in conversations uh, on the Internet where they have actually quoted Rothbard uh, to me, you know, throwing Rothbard at me mm-hmm. to prove me wrong. And my response is uh, Rothbard was Rothbard was wrong, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes Rothbard was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I've had people do that with Mises and they have quoted, you know, something. Actually, the person who did it misquoted Mises, but that's not the point. But but they attempted to use Mises to uh, to show me that humans didn't actually inherit any of any of their nature. Right. I don't think Mises said that. But if he did, he's wrong. Right. Because, you know, a good portion of what makes us us, we've inherited. Right. If a, if a butterfly can inherit the instinct to fly, I've said this a million times, if a butterfly can inherit the instinct to fly from the jungles of Mexico to the plains of Canada and back again, uh, I'm pretty sure we inherited some, some tendencies. Right. You know, geese don't have to be taught how to migrate with the seasons. Uh, bears don't have to be taught to eat berries and fish. Right. You know, they just, it, it's food and they eat it. it. It comes natural to them. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that as helpless as baby humans are, we still inherit some tendencies. Right. Well, anyway, I'm doing a lot of the talking in this podcast <laughs> and you're doing very little. When, when we get back from the break, uh, maybe, uh, maybe Kyle will do more talking and I'll do more listening. BadQuaker.com uses HostGator as our web hosting service. It was fast and easy to get set up, and the support we receive is top-notch. They have helpful and friendly 24-7-365 live technical support and a 99.9% uptime guarantee, and they have some of the best prices in the business. If you have a website, or if you want to have a website, check them out by going to BadQuaker.com and click on the button for HostGator. And thank you very much for supporting BadQuaker.com. Did you know author Taryn P. Lupo has a new novel out called One Nation Under Blood? When a rejuvenative blood technology is developed that pits the young against the old, the government must take firm steps to address the war of supply and demand brewing across generational lines. Blood is not the only thing bought and sold in this dystopian tale of technology, economics, and independence. Vampires are now very real, but we never expected them to wear our grandmother's best Sunday dress. Okay, thanks for sticking with us through the commercial break. And so what do you want to talk about, Kai? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? I just talked for 20 minutes and didn't (laughs) let you talk. So... I think part of the problem, though, with both Rothbard and with Ron Paul, um, and this is going to sound a little weird, but I think I think they talk and believed one thing, you know, uh, but I don't think they had full faith right. in what it was they were saying. Right. Um, I, I, and I think that's why Rothbard had a tendency to want to go and convince people or get involved in politics and try to convince the government. Well, I have found... You know, so often that the people who are trying the hardest to get you to believe the same thing they believe are the people who really don't know what their beliefs are. Yeah, they're a little unsure. Or really don't believe in their beliefs. Yeah. You know, and they're looking for um, confirmation from you that that is the 
the good thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah, kind of like uh, I, like I'm trying to convince you that uh, one plus one is two, mm-hmm. but I'm not quite sure about it. But if I can convince you of it, right, and you verify it back to me. Then that'll kind of verify to me that it's yeah, yeah. I'm right. It is one and one. See, because you, right. it's kind of a democracy thing. We've agreed, right? So it has to be right, right? Um, so so they try even more desperately to get you to agree with them, right? Uh, even though they may not fully believe it themselves. Whereas people who are comfortable in their beliefs don't necessarily have to convert people. Yeah, because it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It's it's still there. It's still there. It's one and one is two, whether you believe it or not. Right. So I don't have to convince you. Right. And that level of confidence, I think, um, actually has a greater power to influence people than the guy who's going door to door, knocking on your door, trying to convince you that one and one is two. Yeah. Um, and that's, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm making a pretty harsh accusation against Ron Paul and, and Murray Rothbard if, <laughs> if, if what I'm saying is true. But I, but I think, you know, um, if you really believe what, if, if Rothbard had really believed what Rothbard said, right. then I don't, I think consistency would force him to shun all involvement with government and politics. Right. Because you can't, according to Rothbard, you can't accomplish uh your you know the liberty right through through politics right ron paul actually said in one speech that um liberty can be lost in increments but liberty cannot be regained in increments right he said that in a speech and then he's lived his life trying to regain liberty in increments right that i mean that's what he does in government that's right. what trying to become president that's you know this, that's kind of his thing yeah so you know maybe I don't know. I don't I don't even know that I necessarily agree with the idea that liberty can be lost in increments. Well, when you come to freedom, you know, liberty is like the thing in your heart, the desire for freedom. Right. But freedom itself, you either have it or you don't. Right. You're either free or you're not. Right. You can't be kind of free. Right. You know, sort of free. You can't be a part-time slave. Yeah. Um, but liberty is that thing that dwells in your heart that desires for freedom. And and that can be anywhere from a a slight desire to a raging fire, right? You know? um, but and and that's a good. Uh, this is an aspect too. Uh, the mar- the market for liberty, how much market demand there is for liberty, right. is based on um, how much of that desire is burning in people's hearts, and the more people want freedom the greater that burning desire for liberty becomes and the more of a market demand there is for it. Mm-hmm. And that's really where the, where the victory lies because, you know, governments can never uh, understand markets. Right. They constantly battle markets. They constantly attempt to control markets. But governments never understand markets. Right. And really, if you think about it, the market is nothing more than the desires of human beings. Right. We want, uh, you know, we want the latest uh, smartphone. So somebody realizes that there's a desire for that. And so there are competing technologies to try to produce that. Right. But if nobody desired that to begin with, there would be no need, uh, no logical reason to produce it. Right. And freedom uh, is like that. You know, um, liberty, that desire in your heart. Uh, when you desire freedom to the amount that you desire it, uh, 
you know, the more and more of us that creates a bigger market for liberty. Mm-hmm. And then there, then the market itself, which is the human tendency to, to fill needs, right. uh, will have to fill that need. But until there's a market for it, uh, that's, that's desiring it enough, right. then, uh, any attempts at it are, are just going to be forced. It's like if you were in, um, you know, 1520 and you came up with this great idea that you're going to make a smartphone. And so you get all the components and you work and you work and you, you, let's just say that you had access to all the different, not the components, but the, you know, the, the actual materials to make mm-hmm. them with. And you spent your whole life in, you know, 1520 or something making a smartphone and you actually set up an assembly so that you could make lots of them. You wouldn't sell any. No. Because there's no market for it. Right. And there's no way you could get people to buy it. Unless, you know, unless you got a government subsidy. Right. Then you could force people to buy it. Right. Because that's what governments do. Right. But you could never make a natural market for the thing. Right. But nowadays, there's a market for it. There's a desire to have that. Right. And so there are people all around the world that are doing everything they can to fill that desire. And, and you know, it's kind of like that old story, I pencil. Uh, no one person can make an entire smartphone right it's made up of tiny little components that are made uh, you know that are that are separately that are mined all around the world and you know created for different purposes and then repurposed and then other people get a hold of those components and make four or five different things out of them mm-hmm. and in the end we have the smartphone right but it's it's it exists because there's a desire for it right and if you could um, work in government, to create freedom, mm-hmm. um, then you would be like the guy in 1520 trying to create something that there's no market for. Right. Um, if the if there's a market for freedom, if there's a burning desire of liberty in people's hearts, then the market's going to produce liberty. Right. And anything gets in the way is just going to get crushed. Right. But if there's not that burning desire in the hearts, then um, it doesn't matter what you create. It doesn't matter what you take the force of government and try to, you know, assemble and then get people to buy it. Well, and ultimately, I think it comes back down to the fact that, um, you know, without because where we're at right now is that so many people look at the state and they go, well, that's not that bad. They do good things. Right. You know, and so I think until there is no doubt in your mind when you look at the state. And you go, that thing is evil. Right. And until that moment comes, there's no, there's no market for not having the state. Right. Because people want the state, so the state is there. Yeah. You know, because even though the state doesn't understand markets or follow markets, it's there because there is a market for the state. Yeah. Uh, and th- and that's really the heart of the thing. As long as there's a market for the state, as long as there's a desire to have government, you know, uh, telling your neighbor to trim their hedges and mm-hmm. government, um, you know, making sure that there's no drunk drivers coming down the street. Right. As long as there's the desire to have government do those things for us, then there will be government doing those things for us yep. and the consequences of that. Yep. You know, okay, so yeah, n- none of us want the drunk coming down our street, you know, driving too fast, driving crazy, running over our children. We don't want that, right? right. Um, but does the government actually stop it from happening? No. No, they just punish people afterwards. Yeah, they come in after the fact and punish people, or they punish innocent people 
who have never come down your street drunk and run over your children. Right. So that's that's really all they can do. They can't they can't you know the government's aggression can't stop evil evil from happening. It can only um, create evil itself. Right. The aggression of of uh, you know placing itself on people. Right. And then you also get the evil of whatever it is bad that happens. Right. So, um, you know, uh, the old argument about roads. Well, who would build the roads? Uh, road builders would build the roads. If there's a market for it, if there's a desire, right. somebody will fill that desire. Right. But by having government, you have the roads, but you also have layers and layers of bureaucratic theft that beat us over the head and steal our wealth. Right. So we'd have roads one way or the other because there's a desire for it. Right. But because we also have a desire for government, we get government as well. Right. <laughs> but when people really understand what government is, when they really get a look at the eyes of this monster, then they can see, I don't really want that. What I think I want is not what I'm actually desiring here. Right. It's two different things. I want the roads. I want police protection. I want, you know, uh, I want to be able to walk on my, on my sidewalk beside my street uh, safely. I mm-hmm. want those things. But I don't want... 70% of my wealth wealth taken away. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be uh, harassed and searched and patted down every time I try to go from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be pulled over because somebody might have drugs. Right. I don't want to be pulled over and have dogs sniff me because somebody else might have drugs. Right. I don't, I don't want that. Right. That's not the part that I want. But you can't have one without the other right. if you government is have- supplying you can't have the state without aggression. Yeah. So so the things that people... And until people see that, then there's still going to be a market right. for it. And so how do people... How do we get to there? Do we, do we legislate this? Do we work in government for 30, 40 years and try to get government to give us better government? You know? I don't, I don't think that that's very effective. I don't think it's <laughs> uh, very smart. <laughs> I think it's much smarter to let government do whatever it's going to do, and as government does what it does, people more and more will see how evil government is. Mm-hmm. And then they'll say, well, we could do that without government. Yeah. And then that desire for liberty builds more and more and more. It's only through seeing tyranny that you begin to want liberty. Mm-hmm. And I'm not letting you talk much, <laughs> am I? <laughs> You're just pretty much getting to hold the microphone through this podcast. That's all right. It's uh, so very early. I was thinking about homeschooling because uh, in studying the time frame of the mid-60s when Che died Mm -hmm. and when Rothbard was saying these things, Mm -hmm. I was also bumping into other things that happened in the mid-60s. Right. And there's a guy I haven't thought about in a long time, and I always have trouble with his name. It's R.J. Rushduni. Have you ever heard of him? I have not. A lot of people consider him the father of the homeschooling movement. Oh, yeah? But my first encounter with his writings had nothing to do with homeschooling. I had no idea that he was he was kind of the guy who first started saying on the public stage, you know, out and in America where people had a voice. He had a voice that, that people could hear. And he started saying, look, uh, public schools are horrible. Mm-hmm. They're a government tool. They're a tool of uh, the, the, you know, the so-called progressives. They're used to brainwash your kids, and you should teach your own kids. He right. was the first real open public figure to say these things. Right. But I didn't know anything about that when I first learned, started learning about him. He's, um, 
Gary North's father-in-law. Okay. And he was, uh, I learned about him through th- theology because I started studying his writings like in the early, early 80s. Mm-hmm. And I actually found Gary North um, through his, through a reference in the back of one of his books. Mm-hmm. But. Um, wow. That's so old school. Yeah. Like you in didn't the just back click of on book. the link? Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? Like in the back of a PDF file? No, no, it was. Like had a f- so like the bottom of the wiki article, yeah. right? <laughs> no, it had actual pages. <laughs> I don't <a> understand. <laughs> um, anyway, um, yeah. Uh, so in the '60s, though, and I remember school in the '60s, right? There was this big controversy that was taking place in the '60s. New math, and you never hear this anymore. New math. New math. Yeah. Huh? But in the 60s, there was, this, um, there was this fear in America that the Soviet Union's uh, scientists were better suited um, for, like, space stuff uh, because they got Sputnik in the air before the United States did. Right. And so that was part of the push behind NASA and all this kind of thing. And a lot of people said, well, we need to uh, change the way we teach math to kids. Which I totally agree with because the way public schools teach math is ridiculous. But that, that way that they teach math is what's called new math, the way they do it now. Wow. In That's this, an epic fail. Yeah. And, and a lot of parents in the 60s saw this crazy way of teaching math. Then, and it was so confusing, a lot of the teachers didn't even understand it. Right. But they still had to teach it because right. it was mandated. Right. And so um, a lot of people in the 60s were like, this new math thing is stupid. Right. And they, and they, you know, their kids would bring math problems to them that the kid didn't understand, the parent didn't understand, the parent would call the teacher, the teacher couldn't explain it to the parent, and yet you have to learn it. Right. Welcome to new math. <laughs> and so uh, um, R.J. Rushduni... Rush uh, used that as an example and started saying, folks, you know, you, you're being taken. Right. Um, they're not teaching your kids a, a new math. They're teaching them how to not learn math. Right. This is this is not an effort to teach your kids better. It's an effort to not teach your kids. Right. And really, you know, we see this now. It's obvious now. You look at schools nowadays and they build these mega schools outside of town that look exactly like a prison. Mm-hmm. They run them like a prison. Mm-hmm. They have armed cops walking up and down in the aisles. Mm-hmm. They randomly search your uh, uh, your lockers. Mm-hmm. Um, you 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 don't have any property ownership. The child, the student, doesn't have any property ownership the minute they walk onto school property. Everything they own, including their body, is uh, uh, open for search mm-hmm. at any time at the will of the thugs. Well, it, school wasn't like that in the 60s. Right. Schools were local to a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Every neighborhood had a kindergarten, uh, a, a grammar school, a middle school, and a high school. Mm-hmm. In every, every neighborhood had all of these. Mm-hmm. They were all little schools with little classes, and the teachers really tried. Right. And, and the very first real effort to destroy that was new math that right. was introduced in the 60s. Right. And... Um, uh, and then through the 70s, 80s, and 90s and up to now, there's been this progression of making uh, schools into these uh, prison-like mm-hmm. structures and completely isolating the parents out of the process. So right now there's a huge movement for homeschooling and for no schooling. Right. Um, but in the mid-60s, there was really very little uh, market 
for this. Right. And so Rush Dooney um, was saying these things, and very few people were listening. Right. Because there wasn't a market for it. Right. But as tyranny grew, and as the true nature of public schools became more and more obvious, guess what? Now there's a huge market for uh, for home schools. Right. And the non-school, uh, you know, the unschooling movement has now come in, and we have a whole new uh, way of looking at schools. Right. And it's not because uh, Rush Dooney, you know, forced, he didn't go through and legislate this. Right. It was the exact opposite. It, schools got far worse than he could ever imagine. Right. And because of that, there's a greater demand now than there's ever been uh, to move away from the dependency of, of government schools. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how we move towards liberty. That's how we achieve, um, ultimately, that's how we achieve freedom. Right. Is that people actually see what the nature of the state is. They see it for its, for, you know, for what it really is and not the image that it portrays. Yep. So our job is not to convince people we have a better theory or that our, you know, our, our process, in Ron Paul's words, he said something like, um, uh, we, need to, we need to let this, how did he say it? Oh, okay, here it is. Here's the exact court, uh, quote. He says, the idealism of non-aggression and rejecting all offensive use of force should be tried. And then he said, uh, in the same part, he said, it's time to take a bold step and actually permit it by advancing this cause rather than taking a step backward, as some would like us to do. Um, permit it? Hmm. Like, like, the, like the government is going to go, hey, I got an idea. Let's listen to Ron Paul. And um, we'll give permission for you guys to try this whole liberty thing. Yeah. Could that possibly work? No. <laughs> no. No. It doesn't work that way. We can't have permission to. Uh, I want to go into a uh, Jim Morrison rant here. <laughs> you cannot petition your government for freedom. <laughs> petition your government for freedom. It's silly. It is silly. But, you know, there is a way to create a market for something by enticing people into that. Right. You know, by saying, you know, this is what this is what we have. You know, this mm. is this is what you have. Don't you want what we have instead? Right. You know? Yeah. Here's product A. Here's product B. Product A taxes you, uh, beats you over the head if you resist. And if you resist more, they'll throw you in a cage. And if you resist more, they'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Product B leaves you alone. Right. Which would you like? <laughs> <laughs> I'm reminded of that meme that says, you know, oh, I can't remember it exactly, but it's something like the libertarians want to get in control and then leave you alone. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the problem. Uh, getting in control yeah. is a backward way of thinking. Yep. We can't get in control. And then leave you alone. We have to leave you alone first. Yep. And that's what we have to do now. We have to not try to convince people that we could do this better. Yeah. We just need to point out that, you know, uh, the product that you're being sold is not the product you think it is. And it won't produce the results you think it does. You know. So when somebody asks you what about the roads, you know, you should say, do you like the roads now? Yeah. Are the roads good now? Are they acceptable to you? Are you comfortable with 40,000 deaths a year on the roads? Mm-hmm. Folks, for more on liberty, I started to say the old catch line. I'm never going to. I'm not good at this whole marketing thing, <laughs> you know. So 
Um, badquaker.com. Where liberty is our mission. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Thank you.